Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, we lost this week in playoffs uh, for water polo, so I'm officially no longer uh, coaching, which it's been great. Been able to get home, hang out with uh, the baby and the wife. Um, so that's been really good. I think it's been good for my wife just being there to be help her recharge the batteries and that kind of stuff. And that's going to be my focus over the next week is just getting home, helping her out um, as much as possible. Uh, aside from that, Manchester United won today in stoppage time again. Um, so we won. So points on the board. We're in sixth place on the table. So um, that was before uh, games took place today. There's probably a rearrangement of that. But... Um, there's that. The Sounders play in like an hour because we're recording this on a Saturday and their game starts at 6 tonight. Um, so uh, excited to watch some soccer. Um, and just uh, with that, Tim is currently beating me in fantasy. I'm pretty sure like that recaps like everything that's happened for me this week. So, I mean, it's just how that goes. Tim, how are you doing? Good. I'm beating you in fantasy and I'm in first place in fantasy. And that's about all I have to say about how things are <laughs> no that's not true uh i've had a cold all week uh people can probably hear it in my voice and if you hear me coughing sorry i don't have a cough button so if i cough throughout this i apologize uh air is also really bad today for some reason so uh it's almost yeah. like it's harvest season or something <laughs> i mean it's dialing down but they're shaking trees so it's true uh so getting over a cold um what else? Oh, I don't know. That's pretty much yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> UCLA plays Arizona tonight. <laughs> no, Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State. These Big Eight schools are just sending us out with losses. They're very angry about us leaving. <laughs> so uh, we earned the loss. I could go on. I could rant about the referees, though. My God, when is football going to do something about refereeing? It's a multi-billion dollar sport, and everyone's just like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Players aren't allowed to complain about it. Like, literally not. Like, you complain, you get fined. Coaches aren't. It's like, at some point, put your big boy pants on and allow to get blasted on a Saturday. And you can say, like, we didn't lose because of this, but still... What the fuck were you looking at on that call? So it's just, it's terrible. Oh, I got one for you. This was actually funny talking about refereeing. Um, you know the sport of water polo, so this yeah. this will work. I uh, We played our playoff game on Tuesday night. And listen, just so we're clear, I, I am not the type of coach that yells at referees or, or really goes and talks to them. I have a lot of respect for those guys. I think that they're... There's ones that I definitely don't want at my games and that kind of stuff because I don't know what they're calling and that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, this particular game, 
Um, we had refs that I was like, okay, it, it could be worse. Um, but he, I, so we're going over and, uh, my player very obviously gets a foul. Um, he was the closest one to the ball. There's two guys that swam over to him. They both are like climbing him like a tree. He lets go of the ball, but he's still the one that has like, he is sealed off for possession, but two guys have swam over him. Um, and still has the, the, the strength of the ball. Um, and the referee whistles for it to be a turnover the other way. And so I, uh, and in that process, looks down the pool and kicks out one of my other guys. I have no problem with the kick out. Um, uh, for those of you guys that listen to this and you don't know how water polo works, there's a kick out is a, is a power play type move. You're only allowed to get three of them a game. Um, but it allows the other team to be up for 20 seconds, which 20 seconds in water polo is a large amount of time um, where they get to go and set up an offense up a man. Um and it's just one possession. But, so, I, luckily, the coach on the other side, who I'm good friends with, um, he calls a timeout because he wants his team to set up their offense on the man up. I walk down the pool to go talk to the ref, and mm-hmm. I said, hey, what was that call over here? Because I have no idea what you were calling. And he goes, what call? It was a turnover. And I was like, no, you blew the whistle. Like, you you called it to go the other way. And he's like, on the kick out? And I was like, no. When you blew the whistle and you said, the ball is going this direction, why did you blow the whistle? And he's like, oh, well, he had two guys on him. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, well, yeah, you had two guys, and that was the advantage. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was so... Mad, I went back to the to the bench and I was so pissed. Like, again, there's nothing that I can do, no matter no matter how much I sit there and bitch. Right? This is like we've talked about this before, where like re- like coaches go and they bitch and they give the the ref a piece of their mind and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing I can do to change the call. No, right? you you're John Adam, so to convince them that they know they screwed up, so they give you a solid leader. Yeah, they give you a solid later or your fan base behind you yeah. or your team sitting there and they're like, what? That's not fair. Like, you're not doing anything, you know. Blah, that blah, is blah. not the reason to do it because the kids will feel that. And that's the right. reason for why you got to be really careful with the refs is because then the kids start feeding. And it was like, no, because kids don't understand. Like, that's my problem. Your problem is to actually deal with bad calls. That's just part of the game. My job is to manage or right. minimize right. that. So, Yes, and we have a bad problem on my team in particular, and a lot of those problems are leaving because they were seniors of questioning everything that the ref is doing when it's like, just play the damn yeah, game. Yeah, just play the game. Just play the game. But I And so from that, I, I do think that there needs – that when you're talking about – there. There has to be some sort, and I get it. In officiating is down across the country. Um, it's a rough gig um, for a lot of them. Where you know what in New Jersey, they're not even allowed like parents at baseball games yeah. and stuff like that because they're just brutal to these officials. And it's like I'm just doing this because like I'm trying to help out the community, or it's just it's just something that I do for fun. I'm not trying to be here and be berated by you over the fact that I'm calling strikes and balls. Like, right. you know, 
Um, and I'm human, right? That's always been the huge thing about uh, baseball is that there was – and when people didn't want – that's why we don't have the, the computer-generated strike zone calling balls and strikes is because there's something about the human error and the way that refs do it that it makes the game more interesting to yeah. people. So um, – but there has to be something, right? There's like, you know, there's that official in, I don't even know him, in Major League Baseball. I can't remember his name. But everybody knows that that guy's the worst. Yeah. He's like the worst guy ever. But it's like, what are the repercussions? Like, instead of, like like you said, a baseball player talks about him, you get fined. Like, you know, or you have a disagreement, you get fined. And it's like, okay, but who is doing stuff to make sure that this guy is actually calling what he should be calling? There needs to be corrections on the officiating side. Yeah, in the NFL, there's not. The, the they you know they they assign playoff spots based on who the best quote unquote crews are, and you know the best crew gets the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, I I know some of these guys. I have nicknames for a lot of them, and whatever the NFL is grading on, it's a joke. That I don't know who's doing the grading. I don't know if it's former refs and the former refs who are on the game now that every network has. I, I'm I'm done with them too. They need to just shut the hell up. I'm tired of that. It's just, there's a fine line between being able to say like, how do you not make that pass interference call with two minutes left when you've just been, when you've been calling all kinds of shady stuff on my guys, my guy gets mugged in the end zone and nope, that's a fine. You're fined. You know, calling a guy a name and, you know, or where he lives, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's one thing. But just to be fair, just fairly fair about it and just saying, like, we got to do better. Like, what do we got to do to get better officiating? Yeah. Well, and I mean, and it gets even worse as you go further down the line. College then down to the high school level. It's high school. I understand. It is what it is. It's right. a rough gig. These guys are, you know. The guys are doing it full time, are doing it for the love of it, or if they're younger, they're actually trying to work their way up to be a, a professional ref in college or pros. But uh, um, the college and the pro guys, though, it's just like, I don't tell me like, oh, they don't need make enough money or whatever. Look, they they make what they make. They put your big boy pants on. You signed up for the gig, so yeah. Um. Yeah, and most of them will sit there and tell you that, I mean, that that's not why they're doing it. Although I do say that, but at the high school level, refs make more than the coaches, so <laughs> they do. True. I was like, uh, you make more than me. <laughs> uh, and that's what the kids were asking. They were like, hey, did you know that the refs make more than you? I'm like, yes, well aware of that. <laughs> well, well aware of that. Um, I get a set stipend. That coach over or that ref over there, he gets paid sixty dollars for JV games, and he gets paid seventy five dollars for varsity games. So that's one hundred and fifty bucks for the varsity because we play four games all back to back, and that's about four hours of work. So that ref over there just made roughly two hundred and seventy dollars over four hours of work. There you go. Now, he does have to drive all over Kingdom Come, but... <laughs> and then in our area, we alternate because we don't have enough refs uh, with our leagues that are in the area. So they are refing every single night of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Fridays and Saturdays at tournaments. So uh, 
And if they go to a varsity tournament, again, that's $75 per game, and they can ref like six or seven games at a varsity tournament. Yeah. And so in one week, they've sat there and they've made $600, $700 on just uh, a couple hours of work each night. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, yeah. The Officiating. Pokies, the Pokies beat us. Uh, I wasn't that... Um, wasn't that stunned? I think there was a lot of euphoria when Oklahoma beat Texas. But if you would have told asked me, I would have said, "Yeah, we'll probably lose a game or two. The, we're still a year or two away from from uh, being, I think, where we want to be." So I just don't think you were prepared to lose last week's game. No, last week the last week hurts. This week, you know, it's, Oklahoma State's not really a rival. Like we're their rival, but they're not really our rival. They're they're our little brother. So we were nice to our little brother. We were being very magnanimous today. God bless Sooner Nation. So what are we drinking? Uh, tonight we're drinking a Santa Rosa brew. Uh, from one that we have not had on the show before. This is Old Possum Brewing Company. And uh, what's really funny is that we started off this podcast today or before the podcast, and uh, Tim was like, I got a brewery in there. Uh, I got a couple of cans from a brewery we've never tried before. I've never heard of them before. And I went out there, and I honestly didn't even look at the can other than it said Old Possum Brewing. And I was like, oh, yeah, this place is from Santa Rosa. We've never had it. I've never had it. This is my first time having it. But I remember when we were looking up top breweries in the area, whenever we do our Santa Rosa trip, uh, we just haven't been because it's a little bit out of the way. It's on the southwest side of um, Santa Rosa. And so um, – but – uh, this one is called the Alien Search Party IPA, and it's very tasty. So maybe we need to go drop by Old Possum Brewing. I think so. I don't um, know that why the name escaped me because it is ridiculous. I don't know why the hell they called it that. I'm sure they've got some good reason for Old Possum, but it's, it's a silly brewery name. But the beer isn't. They're it, just really big Merle, ha- uh, not Merle Haggard, uh, <laughs> George Jones fans. So. <laughs> This is, it doesn't say what it is, but it's clearly a New England IPA. New yeah, England it's definitely a hazy, um, but it's a really tasty hazy. And if you know me, I'm actually very skeptical of hazy IPAs. So, um, yeah, it's really light. Um, it's 7.1 ABV. I think there's just something, I think it's just citra hops. If you do citra hops right, it's good. Yeah, agreed. Um, so really tasty IPA. Yeah, can't wait to try you guys out in uh, April and well, actually late March, right? And uh, May this year, June. 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 If I'm allowed to go. <laughs> the April trip is ha- or the March trip is happening. The we'll see on the on the June trip. So what are you listening to? What am I listening to indeed? Um, <laughs> I've already talked about this one before. And that's okay. Because I think people need to appreciate him. And so therefore they need to listen to him. Uh, that's all right. We talked about you two recently. So. Yeah, I... Uh, it's actually based off of last night. I was in uh, 
So normally on Fridays, um, Tim, me, and a couple of our guy friends all hang out at a local brew uh, joint in Tulare, and we have a good time. But since my wife's had her child, I haven't – her child, our child um, – <laughs> I haven't been going because I've had water polo every single night, and it's just—it's really not fair for me to to spend another hour and a half out there hanging out with the guys, um, drinking beers, and when I could be coming home and helping her. Um, I plan on getting back to that um, in the next couple of weeks when I don't have responsibilities every single night of the week anymore, and it's just kind of a, a more casual thing. Um, but uh, last night. Uh, I still need a beer after a long week on a Friday. It's just part of the routine. So I dropped by um, our local brew pub in Visalia, our soccer brew pub in Visalia, which we've talked about before, 1852. And I ordered myself a beer, and I drank it, got myself a four-pack of cans. And in that process, uh, I don't know who was on Ox. Paige was working, and I think she was on Ox. And she was playing Van Morrison. Oh, and I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to stay here and keep listening to this for a while. So I ended up ordering another beer. Don't worry if you thought that my wife was like not being helped out. Like I, it was, it was a quick two beers for me. (laughs) There was nobody I was talking to. I just sat there at my table and just drank my beers and just enjoyed the music and then, uh, left after that. But, uh, yeah, so went home. And then uh, I drove around a couple of places today. I had to go take the dog to the groomer. had to go watch. I, I actually have been to Exeter twice, and I have been to Tulare twice today, each with stops at home in between. So I went to Exeter to drop my dog off at the groomer, came back home, then went to Tulare Western to watch the girls' water pole team play, went back home, then went over to Exeter to pick my dog up from the groomer, brought him home, and then came here. Uh, so just been driving around, listening to Van Morrison today and it's been great. Um, I love that guy. There's just kind of like this, this jazzy soul, um, rock kind of vibe to him that is just, uh, it's great. Especially, like I said, things kind of fit a vibe and kind of fits a, a fall 78 degree weather kind of day. It's been a beautiful day in Tulare today. So, um, it's been great loving it so do you listen to a particular album or was it just kind of like a playlist that uh, just had? a playlist yeah so why you got like a van morrison album no i mean no i mean you know that there's a great the first album that he did is you know that's what he's most known for right, right. that takes up probably half of his greatest hits but yes um although it's funny you bring him up he's become a christian late in his life interesting uh and he's actually there's an album that he did within the last 10 years or so where he's done a bunch of like gospel songs and hymns and and then written his own kind of um well we'd say praise songs Uh, that's not what they are but um so anyway interesting guy dang i should check his dad if i remember correctly i stumbled upon this last year because i was on a van morrison kick and uh, I think his dad died, and his, if I remember correctly, his parents were religious, but he wasn't, and when his dad passed, it really affected him, and 
Um, he sought out his faith and became a Christian. So, yeah. How about you? What did you listen? I to? have been listening to over and over again. Uh, the Verbs Urban Hymns from 1997, their spectacular album. I have no idea what you're talking about. Bit- Bittersweet Symphony? No clue what you're talking about. What? I have no idea. <laughs> I'll fast forward it. Yes, I do know that song. Okay. I thought that was just like the song that plays at the end of movies. Like, I just, <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't ha- actually have like a, like a name to it or, or an artist. It was just like, oh yeah, this is what you play at the end of movies. The guy gets the girl. We're just going to play this. It's not John Williams. How dare you? <laughs> or Thomas Newton. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think anybody was gonna get credit for it. Or uh, Vangelis. Like generic insert. Van- insert generic movie ending here. Uh, That's insert. The- insert rom com generic <laughs> music ending. Here. How dare you? <laughs> I'm not saying it's that's not a the, good that's song. That's the song that they're known for. Although they also, are, it's infamous because they had to pay the Rolling Stones, I think, a bunch of money because they, uh, they yeah they they it might have been that riff at the beginning anyway oh, there's well, something yeah, well in there. now you said it now we got to hear it what, what is they the... sampled something from a rolling stone song oh interesting uh but the whole album is really good it's it's great it's northern england rock at its best which is where all the best rock comes i don't know what it is about northern england i think it's because it's a working class area but whether it would be liverpool or Manchester. I thought Northern England's rock at its best was Oasis. <laughs> also from North, I think no, they might be London. I thought they were Liverpool. No, are they? They are they no, London? they're Liverpool. Yeah, see. Are they? So Hold there on. you go. I was like, and I don't know. Let me, let me check. Let me check. There's another one. Stone Roses. I don't know where. I don't know where. Originally known as the Rain. Oh dear. It should have been known as the the Feuding Brothers. Manchester. It wasn't. They are Manchester. Manchester. Wow. Manchester is like the home. That explains why. And don't give me like I don't understand. There's just a couple of songs. Like if you watch English football, like they sing songs, and you're just like, okay, that's a. They love the hell out of country roads. Oh, they do. They do. They do. Um, they love Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, I think City sings Blue Moon though. Yes, they they sing Blue Moon. Um, they love. There's just something about the folk songs. Uh, they love uh, Oasis, and they love um, Sweet Caroline. That's true. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, what is happening? Well, Northern <laughs> England is to the UK that. That the South is to the United States, and and certainly there's. Well, I thought been, it was the Boston of the United States. There's obviously. been the Beach Boys out of California, and we've had bands out of New York, and yes, we've had we've had bands out of Boston and Chicago and all that. But the you know the the best rocks come out of the South, and I don't. So there's just something about 
uh, I don't know what the connection is because hell if because the northern England's not like it's not the south in that it's rural. Southern England is is the southern is is the rural part of the country, the more rural part of the country. Manchester, the northern the part is the industrial part. But it's like a blue collar. But it is blue yeah. collar in the same sense. I would say blue collar in the same sense as kind of like big cities in, in the south kind of thing. Of just, yeah, that's probably fair enough. Uh, left behind, that kind of feeling, that, that, kind of, that kind of deal. So anyway, I don't know what it is. But yeah, Manchester, Liverpool, just it just cranks it out. Yeah, and so, I was like... When Manchester United won the won the Caribou Cup last year, they played Wonderwall, and everybody in the whole place was like screaming their eyes out. Well, it's funny you mentioned. I did listen to some Oasis. While <laughs> well, I was listening mean, to the verb, you mean I was like, real real fans say the rain? So. <laughs> I was like, well, I've never been listening to this. I might as well pop plop some Oasis on. You, so some champagne supernova. Yeah, I did. I listened to some champagne supernova. <laughs> I was I was uh, in I was trying to fall asleep. I had my AirPod Pros in, and I was like, I'm gonna put on now, some wait, champagne on supernova. The, on the song of Wonderwall that you heard, was there a cough at the beginning or no? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, so me and Eric swear that there's a cough at the beginning of Wonderwall. Oh, I would I would love that there is. Because it may just like someone's like that's the take we're going with it. We Leave looked, it in. we looked hot over like we, we looked everywhere on the internet on to see. on Apple Music on Spotify. That's where we looked. Everywhere. That's where we looked. Um, and there was no cough on any of the songs. But we're like, no, there's a cough that starts Wonderwall. It's like, <clears throat> and then. And I'm like, what? Jeez, I can't. We couldn't find it. And I was like, is it a live version? I was like, I don't know if I've ever listened to a live version of Wonderwall, but there's definitely a cough that starts it. I promise. It's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, see, there's no cough at the start of that. Hmm. No, and it's and it's like cough. And then the guitar starts. There's like there's like a couple of seconds, and then that guitar starts. Zeppelin's got stuff like that. In fact, there's a song where at the end, there's like a long pause, and somebody coughs. We're gonna. Google. I think the I think the drummer. I think. Uh, oh shoot. What's his name? I think he coughs, and then Palmer says cough, like he sings cough. <laughs> Bon, oh, Bon, damn it. Yeah, so it's on the album itself. Uh, it's like right after like uh, an interlude or something. Uh, he coughs, and then the song picks up like right after that on the album. So let me see here. Let's see if I can find this. But there's definitely a cough. Sorry, I know this seems weird. You're like, why does this matter? No, it's just, it's those little picadillos that make 
Music great. What album was this on? It was on What's the Story, Morning Glory? And Roll With It is the song before. Is that it? I have it in front of me if you want me to play it. Oh, Roll yeah, With It's a good song. How do I scrub? No, there you go. There it is. Oh wait, oh I have it on shuffle. Sorry, but that's that's what it goes to. After that is Wonderwall, and there's that cough at the end. So. See, that's why you got to listen to albums. That is why you have to listen to albums, and that's why it's iconic. There's just, you ha <laughs> like you can't even have it without the cough. And somebody said, I, when I looked it up, people were like, "Did they cough before they started on their live?" And I was like, "It feels like it needs to be there. There's just something about it." Where I feel like if I was at an Oasis concert and he coughed, everybody would lose their shit. They'd <laughs> yeah. be like, Wonderwall is yeah. on. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like waiting for the guitar riff that you all know. It's like if he started with that cough, everybody would lose their fucking minds. <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah, there's a lot of noisy stuff on Zeppelin songs because I, th I think they recorded – as a band and not they didn't lay down single tracks yeah so there's just a lot of a lot of stupidity going on in the background you know like uh dropping drumsticks or something or that kind of thing but you can hear all kinds of noise in the background it's like just just go with it that's right just go with it i'm about to get started on my second beer before we even get started on our topic wow are Tim and Colton alcoholics? Uh, I don't know. There's the bottles. Here making its two thousand go to hell podcast appearance. Oh, that's right. We have blind pig, ladies and gentlemen. So we're drink. Yeah, we're drinking blind pig. This was a gift. I will the. Uh, the advantage of having a daughter who men are courting is they uh, bring over gifts to me when they're trying to impress me. So I have bottles of liquor. I have <laughs> I have bottles of booze. So this kid, yeah. this kid brought forward. Blind Pig, and he brought what was the other one? Mind Circus. No, there's. Uh, oh no, Pliny. He Pliny. Pliny, the elder, not younger. Uh, so yeah, I get. You said, you said not younger? Mm. <laughs> oh, I was just clarifying. <laughs> no, I, I'm saying that that's what you said to the suitor. You were like, mm. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Cheap stuff, huh? <laughs> Try again, buddy. Work harder. 
Well, that's a totally different flavor profile. Flavor profile from the one we had before. I had one in my fridge. I don't know what I did with it. I, maybe I drank them all because I knew you wouldn't like them. They were very, very grapefruity. What was that? Those Firestone ones. Hmm. All right, anyway. Grapefruit sculpting. No, maybe it was the one we just had, and I thought you weren't going to like it. Maybe it was that one. I didn't feel like there was a lot of grapefruit flavor to that. It was on the back. I think there was. I tasted grapefruit on the back. At least, I mean, if it's grapefruit on the back, then that just means that there was bitter flavor on the back. So I'll take it. I was like, it didn't make my mouth do what grapefruit does to your mouth. Where it's like, you got that, yeah. <laughs> it's like cranberry juice. <laughs> just like, Ugh. so therefore I can handle it. Okay. Which topic do you want to do first? Yeah, I think, I, I think we'll do the hot topic, which is what I was going to talk about first. Um, is I saw on CNN, there was an article this week. Um, that said um, that there is a smarter or there is a better way to go. And the gist was, because I'm not going to tell you, I, I, I can't remember what the title of the article was, but I, the gist was there is a better way for Israel to go about what it is that they are trying to accomplish in Gaza, which... I think that if you're a part of Western civilization right now, we need to recognize that, yes, I I feel like most people should sit there and say 100% there should be a better way um, for Israel to go about what it is that they're trying to accomplish in Gaza. Um, and I And there's also parts of me that believe that a lot of people are... Um, are siding with our Secretary of St- or there there are a lot of people that are what our Secretary of State said this week. They are easy to forget about the atrocities and the crimes that were committed against Israel just a couple weeks ago. We are we are we are quick to forget that. Um, but I think that the reason why we are quick to forget that is because I believe that Israel has responded with so much fury um, that it is causing, that it causes people to forget. Um, And again, this is one of the things that we've talked about in media, um, where having all of this news coverage is not necessarily beneficial, but it causes people to shift their mindset, especially when it comes to war and that, and we've talked about it before, where it's not pretty, it's not um, to where most people that are involved in war, they would sit there and say, what Israel is doing is not uncommon at all. Correct. I was like, when we got hit by Pearl Harbor, we were like, okay, fuck around and find out. <laughs> you know? Um, and there's no pictures of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the... And the and the problems that that caused for months. There's no, 
there's no press on the ground there that are just taking pictures and sending that over live feed where everybody's like, whoa, we went too far. Right. Nobody's doing that. Okay. Uh, we've talked about it before. I don't know if we talked about it on this show, but uh, Vietnam is one of those first wars where we are getting live like feed of things that are happening. We're getting images of, of people being displaced from their homes and, and this kind of stuff. And that's, tragic and hard for us as a country to deal with especially when we have this freedom of press right um russia the koreas the vietnamese um a lot of these countries don't have freedom of press and so they're actually filtering a lot of that stuff out they're like nah people don't need to see that um but because we believe in a free press system you're able to see that anytime and so right now i can sit there and i can look at i can get coverage of palestinians and how they're feeling in gaza i can hear their blog reports all that kind of stuff can come in and i can sit there and i can be alienated on my side and and completely agree with the fact that israel is doing inhumane things to them i could sit there and do the opposite i can go and see images of the attacks from hamas on uh, israel and just sit there and completely feel um that revenge needs to take place and all that kind of stuff and it's and so this is the world that we live in where we have this 24 7 and and basically what this person was getting at was that they didn't believe and i don't believe either and yes i'm fully well aware you can sit there and you can hand me the stats of Okay, well, this is just another step. If they can, if we let this terrorist organization walk over us, then another one's going to walk over us, another one's going to walk over us, another one's going to walk over us, blah, blah, blah. But again, as Christians, that's not what we believe, right? It's not... I strongly stand by the fact that violence only begets more violence. And... And what they are saying in this article is that Israel's response to this situation is only going to create more terrorists than it's going to prevent. Because their goal right now is to wipe out every single terrorist that's a part of Hamas. And great. Okay. Go through Gaza and wipe them all out. But yet people are watching what it is that you are doing on a daily basis and they are sitting there and they are saying, this isn't right. And especially with people that have ties to those people and they want revenge just as much as you want revenge. And it's not about what they did to you. It's about what you're doing to them. It's not like people all of a sudden when it comes to war and stuff, we're like, okay, that's fair. All right, now we've traded blows and like we're good no it's always about revenge and taking what you want and and again this is also something where i think this is wrong with when you teach world war ii history right there's this idea that people win wars um where we sit there and we believe to this day, and this is what caused a lot of issues in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, thousands, that cutting off the head of the snake means that it's done, like the rebellion squashed. Um, 
but that's not the case. Like if we sat there and we were like, if we if we are sitting here today and you think to yourself, well, if we just kill Vladimir Putin, then like everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> like that, that doesn't work. Like, no, we did that in Libya and we created like some like Star Wars country where like most easily is a entire country where just whatever whatever mischief there was all happened there like so that's the problem with regime changes okay well, who are you replacing them with and here's also my biggest criticism about israel over the last couple of years and how i feel about this conflict and we can sit there and say well they don't want to do this they don't want to do that Again, based off of the moral value and the moral and ethical code that I follow is what are we doing to restore this relationship for it to grow? And again, also something to keep in mind is that growing as a relationship with one another requires compromise. So it's not Israel sitting there and saying, what are you going to do to change? And when you say no... You don't want to change. You don't sit there and say, oh, well, they're not changing. But it's like, what have you done to change for them? Um, and so that's always difficult. And I believe that a restorative system uh, – and you're always going to have bad apples. Um, but I don't believe that violence is the answer. And I mean, I've been clear about that on this show several times, but it's, it's just really tough right now. And I agreed with the article that it said, you know, I think that Israel is creating more terrorists through this, through this all-out war that they are waging on Gaza. Um, and I... And I wish that they would have sat there and let, and I mean, it, it gets messy and that kind of stuff with politics, but it, it would have been better for us or for the rest of the world to gather around Israel and we sit there and say, this is not okay. Um, this cannot happen. Because that's the turning the other cheek mentality. That's what it is. It's, it's not about you doing something about getting smacked across the face. It's about other people coming around you and saving you from getting smacked in the face again. But that's not what it's become. It's, And I mean, you can sit there and say the United States is doing it. Yes, but it's at the fury of Israel that's coming. And I understand that there's a lot of families that are hurt, that are in pain, that are suffering, that have had people taken hostages. They're still out there and all that kind of stuff. I completely understand and I don't want to take away from that. But I'm saying as an honest conversation for people in the West and how we can improve and be better um, moving forward. I think that this is something that we have to continue to look at when it comes to world politics is are we always going to sit there and just be eye for an eye every single time? Um, because I don't see that as helping anything. You can continue to what what's Teddy Roosevelt. You can walk and carry a big stick. Yeah. Walk, uh, walk softly. Talk, talk softly. Walk or talk softly and carry a big stick. So you can carry your big stick, but... And the, the point of that is is, is basically just to, to... That maxim is to suggest, like, we're not looking for a fight, we're not picking for a fight, but if you want to pick a fight, we're ready. 
And when we do, we're going to like unleash hell. But we'd rather just mind our own business. Yeah, but also nobody gives a fuck about the big stick anymore. Right. That's the thing. It's like nobody cares. The, there'll be a dog that'll die biting at your heels, but they're going to send a thousand ankle biters at you. Yeah, that's the problem with what, where we're at with modern, a lot of modern warfare. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you're not dealing with big state versus big state. Um, yeah, exactly. They don't care what they do or who they disrupt, but also I do think I, 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 whether we, I, it's not anti-Semitic at all. And actually, I feel like a lot of the anti-Semitism, somebody can tell me I'm wrong, and you're more than welcome to tell me I'm wrong. I feel like as far as every article that I've seen about anti-Semitism, it's like East Coast stuff yeah do you feel that way like is there something at berkeley maybe like berkeley would be the only college i'd be like okay it's going on on college campuses for whatever reason but i don't feel like it's in california that like ucla a lot of the stuff you're correct a lot of the stuff that you're reading is like it's going on in new york which is like in manhattan which is you know there's uh it's cooper college i think or cooper cooper union which is one of the oldest schools in the country um there was a mob in manhattan and or are they in manhattan somewhere in one of the some part of new york city and anti pro-palestinian mob and there were a couple jewish kids in the library which is apparently on ground level and you can see in there and those the kids had to very sadly ironically like i think they had to go to the attic which just invokes like, yeah, yeah, you know, that invokes images of the Holocaust because these folks are angry at the at these filthy Jews. So I agree with you. I think a lot of this stuff is going on more on the East Coast and the West Coast. Because I'm reason. just like, I in California, I know where there are pockets of the Jewish community. Like I know where it's at in Los Angeles, like um, and that kind of stuff. I don't. I don't feel like it's a problem for anybody. I mean, Hollywood talks. Hollywood has gags about you know um, Jews and owning all the stuff and and that kind of and that kind of thing. But I don't. Now the worst the worst videos or articles I've read are going on in the five boroughs, yeah, where people like... are like chanting, and then someone goes up with like an iPhone or a full like camera setup, and they're like they're like obviously filming. These people know they're getting filmed. It's going to be put on the internet. Why are you protesting? Because Israel needs to leave. Where do they go? And like I saw a video yesterday or the day before, like they need to go. Somebody said they need to go back to fucking Brooklyn or something like that. I mean, like who says that? Yeah. And I mean, and again, I'm not a huge into. I. Yeah, I, I think that there is a bit of imperialism ideas behind the origin origin of the state of israel i i get that for if anybody's like sitting there and they're like okay um but also remember that that's that's technically how the united states is i was like we literally kicked all the native americans out technically this is their country if you're so woke about that then why, well, why aren't you woke about this? Here's the thing about the founding of the state of Israel. You're really... Yes, you have European Russian Jews coming in, but those folks were ultimately, at some point, 
were quote-unquote Arab, Middle Eastern. So what we're talking about are religious differences. The Jew, for In terms of modern religion, the Jews were there before anybody else was. So, you know, for if you want to claim to be Palestinian, okay, that's fine, but you're... You're ethnically no different. And let's also remember when I did my whole history primer in World War II, a lot of the Jews who moved there, they moved there because they were fleeing uh, persecution, not in Europe. They were fleeing persecution in, you know, they were Arabic Jews. They were Arabic, quote, quote unquote, Arabic Jews who were fleeing Iraq, what we call Iraq in Syria and Jordan and Egypt and all and coming there because they the Arabs there were like we don't want you here anymore. So that was my whole point of bringing up the whole history of thing. It was like this is how it came about. You can argue whether it's colonialism or imperialism or the Jews are God's chosen people. This is where we're at today. Somebody's got to figure out how to get everybody to to live together. Yeah, and I think and to your point, what Israel needs to do is you've segregated you basically created a segregation right and to be fair to israel the palestinians don't have a problem with that segregation either the palestinians don't want to want to live with the jews either so that's that let's just be clear about that but israel is making things worse by setting allowing settlers to go into the west bank and gaza and set up all these these settlements with the hope that at some point they're going to take over everything. If you want to tamp down the violence and the rhetoric and the anger, knock off all the settlements. Just let them be Arab Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. And, you know, ironically, that's one of the things some military people are pointing out is why the whole attack happened and it took so long for the IDF the Israeli military to respond like six hours because a lot of people are like there's like conspiracy theories about it. Part of it was because they had so much military stretched protecting all of these settlements sprinkled all in the West Bank surrounded by Palestinians who don't want them there that when they actually attacked the homeland, so to speak, they didn't have anybody to, to defend because they're so stretched thin. So um, and, you know, apparently it's it, it gets really messy with the settlements. You know, you'll see you'll read online that they're illegal. You'll read other people say that they're not illegal. Apparently it is against Israeli law for them to be doing this. But the problem is the current head of the government, he's not, you know, he's de facto prime minister. But Netanyahu is now the longest serving prime minister. He and his party support all these settlements so they're just blindly letting them go on even though it's against the law and it's causing to your point do whatever you can to mitigate the frustration the anger the hatred yeah I, that's that's <laughs> if if there's a critique on israel is i don't feel like they're they're helping themselves every single time that i i don't know if the last 10 years have been a really good good time for israel and again i'm not anti-semitic at all i i 
like I'm not like I don't hold, harbor anything against the Jews. I'm just merely critiquing your strategies over the last 10 years. And you can sit there and you can say there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of grief. There's there's violence. There's blah, blah, blah. You don't know what it's like down here at the bottom and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough. Right. But where I come from and what I have to say, this is my advice. And and you can sit there and say you can shove that advice up your ass and that's totally fine. But I'm saying <laughs> – I'm saying that I think and, – and again, I'm not – I'm not – what? I'm not – I'm not telling anybody that's going to listen to this as the Secretary of State for anybody. <laughs> But what I want Christians to do is I want you to sit there and I want you to look at this conflict. I want you to say that there are, there's bad blood on both sides. Israel's not innocent and neither is Palestine. But there is a lesson to be learned about how to deal with conflict through this. And the way that they are dealing with it is not the way that I would encourage anybody to deal with conflict. It is and and when something happens to your country if something were to happen to the united states we've already learned once that wanting blood as soon as a terrorist attack happens doesn't necessarily equal that terrorist organization going down right like al-qaeda attacked us and we had what is considered to date the most horrific terrorist attack in the history of the world at this point there's been really terrible terrorist attacks around the world but yet there is nothing that has topped 9-11 and there was an immediate call to response everybody was like let's get this shit and let's let's take it to them and then what we found was a lot of people were actually when at when it started pro-war absolutely but then as time went on, absolutely not. They were like, this isn't really helping anything. This isn't doing anything. We're losing our sons and our daughters to this. It's like, yeah. It wasn't going to do anything in the first place. Right. And it wasn't even like, I know that the big gag is like the oil thing now. But we were a nation that was hurt. So, I mean, like, it's fun to sit there and say Bush did 9-11, you know, kind of stuff. But I'm saying that we were a nation collectively. George W. Bush had the highest reelection rate of any president when he declared war. Nobody disapproved of that action. After what they saw, yeah. after the horror that they witnessed, nobody had a problem with that. But then as time went by, it was like, oh, we're not doing really good stuff over there. And we're, we're losing our lives. And, and it's hurting people. Yeah, we're killing a lot, of people, a lot of people in the process. And I think that I, – I really think that that's something that's very similar that's going to come out from this Israel conflict is where in the United States' mind – 10, 15 years later, we're not the good guys in our story anymore.
I, I'm pretty sure I found the article you referenced on CNN, so I'll post it in the show notes. Um, this is the one. U.S. military advisors invoke lessons of Iraq in urging Israelis to avoid an all-out assault, assault in Gaza. Oh, no, that wasn't it. But it was an op-ed, and so like you can sit there I and I wonder who like, wrote it. I was uh, trying to find it because I was really interested in to see who wrote it because <coughs> some... It's probably some Palestinian. Well, I, no, no, the reason why I was interested was um, some of you who might listen to this might know who Jocko Willink is. He's a former Navy SEAL... He's got his own. He's got several podcasts. He's got a company that he, a consulting firm that he does for like leadership uh, consulting and that kind of thing. And as soon as, like within a couple days after the attack, uh, he was on a podcast with uh, this other guy, Daryl Cooper, who does the Martyr Made podcast. I highly recommend his as well. Daryl's a former, he was in the Navy, and then he was a long time. Who did you think it was by? Jocko Winnick. No, this one's by Robert A. Pape. And it's an, an op-ed that says uh, there's a smarter way to eliminate. I am aware of Robert. Us. Okay, so um, anyway, both Cooper and Jocko were talking about how Jocko was very specific about how he would go about going in and trying to root out Hamas. And he was very much to, you've got to do this to where, <coughs> excuse me, you're winning hearts and minds. Yeah. You've got to be aware of hearts and minds. So for every military action you take, you're also doing uh, humanitarian missions. And again, to your point, if you get spit on while you're doing it, you just keep doing it until people finally start realizing like they're not the problem. Hamas is the problem. Right. And I'm not even, I don't even think he would uh, say this either. Uh, that's not to imply that people are going to be won over by Israel in, in Gaza, but it's to, it's, you're trying to get it to where, again, the enemy, my enemy is my friend. And so it's like, well, I don't like the filthy Jews or the Israelis, but they're a hell of a lot better than the, these Hamas characters who've just unleashed hell on us. <coughs> and I don't think. I agree with you. I don't think Israel, putting on both my Christian hat and my worldly hat, I don't think Israel's doing that. I think they are basically in an unthinking, Active tactical, not rage. strategic act. They're exactly, they're in a tactical act of vengeance. And you can say, well, that's what we did when we when we got bombed by Pearl Harbor and Germany then declared war on us. No, we didn't. We were very systematic. There was a very concerted plan on what we were going to do, what the objectives were. Yes, we wanted vengeance, but it wasn't an act of vengeance. We didn't firebomb Dresden or firebomb Tokyo out of vengeance at that point. It was well into the war. We were doing it in order to win, and I'm not justifying those actions Either I think you can go both ways. Well, yeah, there was a lot of Pacific naval battles that took place before oh. before there was ever any firebombing. There was a lot of do there was a lot of dawdling in the Pacific <laughs> before. If you don't know, 
a lot of a lot of us know a lot about World War II, but <coughs> sorry, you gotta remember the Pacific War was. I think we had just invaded either Okinawa or Iwo Jima, and we were we were flirting with the idea. We were planning on not flirting. We were planning on invading the homeland when Germany declared war, such that. There was a lottery system in the European theater. And if you didn't have enough points, meaning you didn't have enough, I think it was pretty much uh, uh, what do you get? The badge you get when you get injured. Uh, the purple hearts. If you, if you don't have enough purple hearts or some, whatever the points were the points included purple hearts i don't remember what what else it included you didn't have enough points <clears throat> you were going from belgium germany austria france and you were getting shipped to the pacific yeah and i have always stated uh particularly when it always comes up whether or not we should have dropped the atomic bomb i don't know what the american public would have done if it would have been like all right you've been in the European theater or your son's been in the European theater for three years. Now he's getting shipped off to, over to Japan. We have this idea in our head that we would have just kept fighting. That is not what history says. History says every single, <coughs> sorry, every single society has always, doesn't matter how brutal the initial attack was they run out of steam when it comes to war yeah and i think that was understood with those who dropped decided to drop the atomic bomb they knew there was no there was they were running out of momentum <coughs> yes pearl harbor had happened yes we wanted to defeat the japanese but then to just all of a sudden do this wholesale uh invasion after we'd beaten the germans it wasn't going to happen so and on top of that <coughs> and on top of that for anybody that knows world war ii history the japanese were ruthless well, way um, more worse than germans. and not and like when we say way more worse than germans if you're sitting there and you're like the anti-semitism and and all that kind of stuff that was going on in germany we're not we're not talking about that, but we're talking about in warfare because of their cultural difference. They were like they didn't value their own lives, um, and they didn't value the lives of anybody else. And so there was psychologically there were huge things that they were doing, um, and that we ran into again later um, in Vietnam and Korea, where people were willing to do things in the sake of war that Western civilization was definitely not. Um, where we can sit there and say that war is hell, but war in, in these areas was even more hellish than we could have ever imagined. Um, where again, somebody's willing to live in a tunnel. Like again, when we're talking about Korea or Vietnam, somebody's willing to live in a tunnel where they can barely breathe for two days in order enough to... Uh, move around the enemy and then uh, go from there where like again they're complete they're just like rat tunnels where they're just crawling and sliding and all that kind of stuff because that's what it means to them so um, it's really tough 
um, for us to fight against that. And again, that's what we were dealing with with Japan. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I get the whole Hiroshima Nagasaki stuff. I, I get it, but it's, again, it's still, you know, there's, yeah, I, I think to Tim's credit when he's talking about, we don't understand everything that goes into it. Um, and Pearl Harbor was a long forgotten memory for a lot of the soldiers at this point in the war. Um, and they just needed something to send us through to the end. So, um, I don't know. It's tough. Well, where I was going with that, I think, is we use World War Two as the model. And I think the, the World War Two is the exception. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I and I will admit, I in my younger years, well, not even that younger, I, probably five, six years ago, I would have said World War II is the model. Like, if you're going to go to war, then go all out. And I just don't... You're I, and you fuck them boys up. <laughs> yeah, well... Um, but then you watch Letters from Iwo Jima, and then you're like... Phew. Or you watch Flags of Our Fathers, and you're like, Ooh. Yeah, and it's... The Germans... the Germany wasn't a religious... Well, it, yeah, Germany wasn't a religious movement. So you're not dealing with religious zealotry. Japan was to an extent... But, you know, that's why we wanted to get the um, emperor to surrender because he was basically both god and emperor of uh, Japan. whatever the religion is in Japan. Uh, yeah, and to which he had to, he had to publicly confess that he was not a god right. um, as part um, of their treaty. So you want to use that as the model... Well, that's not going to happen in in Gaza. The the leadership of for Gaza is they're holed up in luxury in Qatar or Qatar, or whatever whatever we're calling it today, because the pronunciation changes every week. I'm sick and tired of it. Um, so, to the original point, this is just unleashing hell. Um. And it's not winning hearts and minds. I don't know where this goes. There doesn't seem to be any strategic plan to it at all. Um, and no, it just seems like you're bringing down hellfire and brimstone on. You're making yourself feel good but by it's... by getting sorry by getting vengeance on people, and I will. So there's that where I. Well, I'll say a couple more things and then I'll posit a question. The anti-Semitism thing, we talked about this the, on the first episode where we dealt with this issue and how anti-Semitism was being overly used. I think it still is. I'm still hearing it thrown around on the right quite a bit for just, you know, people disagreeing with what Israel's doing. I will say this. <clears throat> Taking aside just the obvious stuff of, you know, Israel needs to go away and, you know, who cares about the Jews and all that kind of stuff, the, the obvious stuff. 
it does the stuff that troubles me and I, I, again i'm a little concerned about calling it anti-semitism um but when you, <laughs> what baffles me is the venn diagram of people who are all in on the ukraine war and all out on israel doing what they're doing makes me question what the motives are right like, why can the Ukrainians go all in and defeat the... And I, yes, Russia invaded them and all that. Well, I, I get that. But at the end of the day, that's not... The, what people aren't... The people who are against Israel going in are saying, Oh, no, no, you have every right to be upset and it was terrible what was done, but you just don't have a right to do this. Okay, but the Ukrainians have a right to do whatever they're doing, which is use cluster bombs... And all this other stuff, they're they're okay, but we're not going to let the Is Israelis do it. And that where I is where I like okay, what's the mode? Is this just like blind? Is it anti-Semitism or is it just some strange like I don't know, paint by numbers like these are the bad guys, these these are the good guys thing. But that's where I do get uncomfortable about. Uh, who's picking sides and all that kind of stuff, which is why I can say, yes, I've been against both both conflicts from the beginning. Yeah, I'm not in support of what Russia did, but I also am like, it's not our fight. Got to stay out of it. I'm sorry. I think that actually where the, big, where the biggest rub in this whole situation is, is... The way that our culture is to this day is we, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, we sympathize and we empathize with people um, to where people, people who have nothing to do with this conflict or with Ukrainian or with Ukraine's uh, conflict is they are sitting there and saying, well, you know, well, Ukraine was technically a part of Russia for all these many years and blah, 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 blah. And then these rebels came in and, and they annexed their country away from Russia, blah, blah, blah. And people are saying the same thing with Palestine where it's like, well, Israel was never a country. And so therefore, like, you know, we, we have to sit there and and these people have been oppressed by the uh, by the Jews in that area. And so therefore, this is the situation, blah, 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 blah. And again, people want to choose where they give a damn. Right. They want to choose where they give a damn. Like, that's the hard part where, again, nations have been made. <clears throat> nations have been made off of this for, for years and years and years. If you're going to, like, it, it's not them fighting for their independence. That's not what it is anymore. It's such a, it's so much more than that, right? To where if you're sitting there and you're trying to put the American agenda on other countries where you're like, ah, oh, you know, they need this. It's like, these people aren't fighting for tax purposes. They're not sitting there and saying my government is oppressive or anything like that. Or, I mean, they're saying that this religious group is oppressive in, in here. or And, I mean, in Israel, I guess you can say that they're being oppressive. But I'm saying that. They are, we are sitting there and saying that they are oppressive towards them. There's this conflict where, again, honestly, I, on a more minute scale, 
than governmental pushback between the two different governments or private sector and governments if you're really counting Hamas as its own private military organization is I feel like a very similar conversation is happening in our country around the African-American community and uh, the the police force in our country. Where again, people are saying, well, you don't understand. They've been suppressed. They've been, they've had all of this kind of stuff happen. And so this is why they're lashing out. This is the reason why they're looting stores. This is the reason why they are um, violent and active. And, you know, this is why they are the way that they are. Right. So lawlessness begets lawlessness. Right. And again, I'm not sitting there and you can sit there and say that that's a fallacy if you want. I'm saying that the conversation is fairly similar yeah. um, to where if you want to equate it to where – and for me personally, again, I think that there are, there are problems on both sides. I think that uh, – and just the way that I view the Israeli conflict, I think that there's problems on both sides. I don't sit there and view Palestine as the victims. I don't view Israel as the victims. I think in this particular attack, they were the victims. Sure. Um, but now what they are doing is they have now victimized another person. And again, you are just creating this endless cycle of violence begetting violence, which is what you just said. And I think that it, that is very similar in the United States with uh, this, with this, uh, with again, the African Americans and the police force in our country. <laughs> Yes, do I think that the police force in our in the United States needs to be significantly more restorative? Absolutely. They need to care more about a person than anything else. They need to value life as opposed to anything else. I believe that with my being. They need to value all human life. Right. You have been put in charge over the protection of the lives of all civilians even criminals. All civilians are under the jurisdiction of the United States, and so therefore you have. And in the same way, I view that way with Israel, is you have been placed in charge, and you need to understand that the power that you have has great responsibility, and what you are doing with it right now is not okay. There are people starving in Gaza that have nothing to do with this conflict. Absolutely nothing. Because you want to, you want to, you want to show your big stick, and that is hard for a lot of the Western civilization to get behind, in my opinion. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I don't know. I I agree. I. I... We had a <laughs> we had a kind of a clumsy episode, I don't know, a couple months ago where you and I talked about if is it really possible for someone to be like a a true Jesus follower and by that we don't I, neither one of us were meaning to imply that uh if you disagree with us you're not a Jesus follower, but you know, we have our views on what Jesus really wants us to be what could one be a real jesus follower and be president of the united states 
in this modern world. And I've been thinking about that a lot just in terms of just being a Christian with this kind of conflict as well. I, I'll be honest with you. This is not a, a topic that I've been looking forward to coming up at our Friday <laughs> Friday uh, sessions at the brewery or cigar club or something because I just feel like my opinion's pretty useless because I'm just like my you know what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks of I understand the I understand the belief. I understand the primal need for both the public and the government officials of Israel to want a get a, to want to get a pound of flesh. Yeah. But one, I don't. Is there a, what we were talking about earlier? Is there a Jewish uh, <laughs> implication there? I don't it's understand. kosher. <laughs> kosher pound of flesh. Um, what is, What is the name of the merchant in the Merchant of Venice that? Uh, Oh, I can't remember. I don't remember. That wants his pound of flesh. <laughs> um, so there's that. But so but we we just went over whether or not even just from a non-Christian standpoint strategically if that works. But, you know, there there is a notion of whether we like it or not. Jesus, I don't think, wants – he does not support violence – in reaction to violence there's certainly no he had he had several opportunities to demonstrate where violence was an appropriate toolkit in the christian life and he declined every time every time every time and so you might be listening to this was saying so you think it should be the policy of the government that we shouldn't no i'm saying i'm saying actually the opposite i think this is one of those moments where christians need to be either quietly probably quietly it's fine to be quietly but if you want to be vocal about it too just this is the moment where we're told to be in the world but not of the world yeah be restorative wherever you are and we're not going to go run out and call those who want vengeance evil people who are going to go to hell and all this and in that that's not the response. No. And if if that's what you got from this conversation, I'd like to double down and say I I understand where Israel is coming from. I yes. know I know where people who are upset about the Palestinian who are upset on the Palestine side, I I know where you're coming from. I'm saying my solution and what I request and what I think that, again, there's lessons to be learned from this is that we need to be restorative. Correct. Where it is about restoring a relationship between the two and hopefully developing a relationship with the, with the two as opposed to we're not talking to them. We're not, you know, and, and it's hard because I, I'm watching debates and that kind of stuff that are unfolding on college campuses and people are coming up and they are not looking to have a conversation with the person from the other side. Nobody is looking to have a conversation with anybody. It's about let me get my point across and then I don't give a fuck what you say. And it's like if we all just sit there and not give a fuck about what the other person says, then we're not – why have the fucking debate? Why have the conversation? There's no point in that. 
we should be listening we should be listening first to the concerns that people are having and trying to help where it's like hey listen gaza i can't sit there and i can't pull the israel back on you and i can't have them come back but i can work on getting you aid and israel i can't bring back all those dead people and killing people in gaza and making them starve making them regret siding with hamas i can't i can't help you you know with that what i can do is i can help restore you and and give aid to those families that are that have lost people um and that kind of stuff because again blood blood for blood is not it's not an equal price but and we believe that as humans most humans believe that in my opinion i don't think anybody's sitting there and they're like i want blood for blood or, or anything like that i think it's in our nature to want that but for whatever reason on a government standpoint we're like blood for blood if it's if it's people that we're not necessarily directly associated with then it's like okay oh i think it's ingrained in our culture you hear if you hear someone who's lost a loved one like they've had a loved one murdered god bless them i understand where they're coming from when they show up to that sentencing hearing they want that person fried to a crisp right because it gives them some belief that but that's what I'm saying is if they're not involved in the conflict, a lot of people are like, okay, well then like, oh, can we absolutely. Do, like, if they have no skin in the game, it's like, Hey, can we all get along? Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's a part of the culture, but yet that's got, but that see, that's the, <laughs> we, we might be less religious. We might be less Christian than we've ever been to whatever extent we were as a nation whatever or as a culture. Means. But we are not any less religious. And the, the secular folks have learned the worst of our traits, to your point. Right. Which is, you're either with us, to quote George W. Bush, you're either with us or you're against us. Yeah. And if you don't I understood what he meant at the time, but that should not be, that should not be uttered. Again, it's, no. as I've been pounding on my table for, for months now, let people go out in the streets, whether you agree with them or not, and say, we want peace in, in Ukraine. And don't say like, oh, you must be Russian lovers and you must hate the Ukrainians. Like, no, there needs to be at least agree there needs to be a equilibrium in society of people being like, hey, this is a bad idea. How about we rethink this whole thing? Absolutely. Let's wrap this up. We'll wrap this up and then we'll do beer number three. Um, head on to the main topic. I think... I think what you you circled this perfectly, but it's got to be punctuated even more. Well, I started it, and you you really nailed it down. We have got to be the people quietly. I don't even know that we need to be vocally in the room saying like, "Hey, I'm not. I don't have any skin in this game, and to to the extent that I have any skin in this game, I don't believe in violence." I don't think that this is going to solve anything. But those of you who are really angry at Israel, God bless you. I, I understand, but and I'll be here. Those of you who are pro-Israel, I don't think what you're doing is right. But that doesn't mean I'm, I'm anti-Semitic, but, and I'm going to be here. I'm going to, I'm going to be here for, for both of you. Absolutely. 
And if you don't, if if neither one of you wants to hear from me, I'll go in. I'll go into the corner and be really quiet. Or until, or if one of you comes and asks for help, that doesn't mean that I'm against you. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Because and again, secular society has learned this from us. Because everything we've boiled everything down to good, good and evil. You're either with Jesus, and we're going to judge whether you're for Jesus because you're uh, you're completely for marriage and and hate divorce. You're you know we've we've picked all of our little shibboleths to decide whether or not you're actually a Jesus thing. So everyone's like, okay. So if you're a real humanitarian, you're either if you're a real humanitarian, then you're all in for the Palestinians and you hate what Israel and the colonialists are doing, goats or the other way, or the other way around. Goats and sheep. Goats and sheep, exactly. Here we go. All right, beer number three. What are we drinking? We're drinking Pliny the Elder. What is Pliny the Elder? Is it the Godfather of beer IPAs? Is is it the? It's the Godfather of double IPAs. Well, just like like beer, like in general. Oh, you mean like the guy? Uh... Well, just like it's it's the it's the thing, right? I guess if you're on the East Coast, people might disagree, but East Coast people don't know anything about IPAs anyway. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> Hence the reason why a New England IPA is hate. <clears throat> um, it's the OG. It's the OG of double IPAs. It's the OG double IPA. Yeah, that I, is... I would say IPAs in general, but yes, specifically double IPAs. It's really tasty, and thanks to the new Windsor location at uh in which I've still not been to. Yeah, but you drove by it. We like, drove by it and saw the how by large it is. Like, it is. Is, that, is that an Amazon? Yeah, like? it was massive. <laughs> yeah, it's massive. Now I know why they're why they were able to start shipping everywhere in California. Right, and we've talked about it before. Where Pliny the Elder used to be a thing where you were like, "I'll buy every bottle." Oh yeah, it was like, yeah, you you had to be on like message boards and like the dark web. Yeah. To find out where someone got it. <laughs> yeah, and now... And then you get down there like a liquor store like an hour later. I'm like, yeah, we sold out 20 minutes ago. Yeah, Damn now, it. Yeah, now we go to our local brew pub and we're just like, eh, all right, I'll try what else is on the menu. Yeah. You know, like... It's become semi-ubiquitous. But it's so tasty. Like, I, you drink it and you're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... That is one of the best double IPAs I'll, I'll drink. Yeah, it's perfectly balanced. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Enough gushing about Russian River. We should just turn this into the Russian River podcast. <laughs> Russian River goes to hell. Um, your, week, was... your weekly update on Russian River beer. Uh, yeah, Pliny the Younger will be available... Uh, last week of march for anybody that wants to go uh andy we're looking at you send me a text because i gotta reserve the airbnb sooner rather than hell anybody listening to this podcast wherever you're at if you want to go let us know we'll do a go to hell go to hell goes to russian river for and we'll do a, a i don't know a listener party at at uh 
Russian River for the younger trip. At Russian River, we go to downtown. We will not provide the uh, accommodations, but you are you are uh, free to join us on wherever we go. Yes, one hundred percent. Whatever drunkenness that takes yeah, us and throughout honestly, Santa like, Rosa, and also the inaugural San Diego beer marathon. <laughs> if you want to hop in on that as well, inaugur- just let us know. The one and only, I think, San Diego beer marathon. What are you talking about? It's not going to be a one and only thing. That's going to be that is going to be a once a year time. Type it's not going to be a marathon the next time though. I think it's going to be like a triathlon or something. It's going to be. It'll be. Remember, we already said it's going to be different. It's not going to. We're not going to try to cram in quantity. It's more like quality. I don't know. The quantity was a lot of fun. The more I look back on it, I'm like, I wow, told somebody was... about it. Dude. Oh, oh, Christina had not heard the story. And she said, I think she told me, shut the fuck up. And I said, no, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. She said, no, that didn't happen. I said, it did. And then she looked at her mother and she said, no, yeah, they did it. The more, ref- the more I reflect on, uh, it was insane. Yeah. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I tried telling this story to somebody. Oh, I tried telling this to my parents. If we do this again, we we need to set up like our own. It needs to be its own social media account. I I literally, I was telling this story to my parents. And I was like, I don't. For the first time since that trip, I was like, I don't feel like this is something I should be proud of. <laughs> I was like. Yeah, I was like, yeah, we went to 18 different breweries. <laughs> like, and this and they were like, how long did, like over like, you know, like a week? And I was like, no, like over 48 hours exactly. <laughs> Where we were at we tried to cram as much beer into our bodies as humanly possible. And we woke up hung over as Fuck well, Saturday some of, some morning. Of us did. Yeah, I was like, well, and I told him in the story, I was like, yeah, Tim was the smart guy on that trip. Tim was like, yeah, no way I'm gonna drink double IPAs on Friday. <laughs> and I was like, nah, I, I want to drink shit. I want to drink what I want to drink. And I was like, and then Saturday, I was like, no, nope, Tim was right. Tim I was I fucking right. <laughs> one, I had to drive, but two, I just don't function as a hungover. I have to like sleep it off. So there was gonna be no sleeping. When we were in Vegas for the race a couple weeks ago, two eh, a month ago, um, oh no, um, we have a MLS match in the background in Dallas scored. Is this in? This must be in Dallas. It is in Dallas. Yeah. Um, uh, Nolan's dad showed up as a semi surprise, and I had over. I got confused on accommodation, so I'd overbooked, and his dad was like, "Well, I'm not sharing a room with a couple of guys. I'm just, you know, those days are over." And I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking to myself, "Well, I slept on the floor, you know, <laughs> one night in San Diego, and I was perfect. I mean, I wasn't fine, but you know, I survived." <laughs> you were getting Chinese water it was, torture. <laughs> it was fine. It was worth it. Well, there was a payoff. <laughs> and me and Nolan talked about it 100%. We've talked about it where 110%. That's like up there is like top 10 worst hangovers of our life <laughs> on Saturday morning where we were like, 
Where we were, I, where that kind of a hangover is like the yeah, type you, where you're like, I'm not drinking beer for a week. Yes, like, that was. That's the type, what you guys look like. That was the type of hangover <laughs> that like, we had. This trip was a mistake. And, no, not a, can never, we go to this? Can we go to the zoo? Does it can, does zero never ever crossed my mind? And we were like, well, this is what we came here for. So this is what we got to do. And Tim said, and I remember you saying, like, I was worried that we, you guys were gonna bail out and just be like All right, let's go back to the room and just blah 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 and i was like that thought never ever crossed my mind it was always just like i've gotta power through that was always just like gotta power through gotta power through gotta power through gotta power through <laughs> And I thank goodness we went to Target and got ibuprofen. I was like, that's all I can say. Nolan was sick, and so he was even worse. And he said that he felt it. He said by the time that we had probably gotten to North Park, he was like, yeah, I was like sick. And he said he didn't feel good or like fine until we got to the Barley and Sword. Oh, which man. Which was probably like around 4 o'clock. Yeah, that was late in the day. Yeah, he was like, that's when I finally felt good. And I was like, well, that's probably when the beer all finally hit you. <laughs> yeah, the late hair of the dog kicked in. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I was like, but at North Park, I was like, I felt like the prime. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I, not at the beginning of North Park. After the ibuprofen had kicked in at North Park, I was like, oh, yeah, there we go. Well, I want to go back to San Diego just for North Park. So I want to go back for more than just North Park, but yes, that's uh, that's something that I definitely want to go and see. So, anyways, sorry to sit there and distract, but again, that's any right. any trip that we take on the Go to Hell podcast, anybody is more than welcome to join us. We'd love to sit there and and chat over beers with you. Um, we're talking about possibly being at Machine Head next weekend. Um, so if anybody that listens to this in the Clovis Fresno area oh, hell yeah. wants to meet us over at Machine Head, please come stop by. Um, we've only been once and I've been dying to go back ever since. It's just, you know, Fresno's not really that far. We're but... going to, we're going to be there on Saturday. Um, we don't know the, t- we don't know the times just yet. Um, we might put a post out on our Instagram where we'll sure. say, Hey, if you want to come out, um, if you're looking for us, I am obnoxiously white. Um, so uh, you'll be like, man, dude, that guy is brighter than the sun. Um, and that's me. So that's who you're looking for when you're there. Um, all right. Main topic. Well, the other topic at this point. The other one was a pretty big topic. So I felt like, uh, that, I felt like that was a good conversation. It was that. a great conversation. So we're going to do... We're going to do a conversation around another recent event, even though we're not going to specifically talk about the event, but uh, October 25th, 40-year-old man uh, fatally shot 18 people, injured 13 others oh, in a shooting yeah. spree in Maine. <gasps> no um, way. You gave a foul for that? <laughs> and a yellow card? Sorry, Going back I... to our previous conversation about referees. <laughs> Um, Let's rewatch this on the cam. And uh, there was a pullback. All right. Um, I thought the guy just went down soft. So, you know, another mass shooting um, instantly brings out, much like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, two sides. Yeah. Uh, anti-gun side, pro-gun side, everyone following into their, you know, general positions and i'm not uh, particularly on the i will admit on i don't own a gun but on the pro-gun side i 
tend to side on that side because those of you who want to ban guns aren't really solving anything. But um, you yeah, find I know. out. I know this gun was acquired illegally, but let's ban guns. Like, I was like, well, oh, yeah, it was I. So I didn't look to see how he acquired the gun. I did see though that his family members had. It did come out within the within the last couple of days that his family members had reported him to the authority, local authorities. They were concerned. This is all background. I'm, this is not the, the topic. The topic is why I'm not in favor really of gun control because it misses the point of why do we keep having these things? Um, on the one hand, I have a few friends from Europe and they're always appalled uh, by America's level of, well, they're appalled by the guns. And I always point out to them, the United States has always been more violent than Europe. And there's different reasons for why that's the case. The easiest ex explanation is it's self-selection. You're going to pick hardier people who are going to get on a boat, you know, other than the, the, uh, <laughs> other than the Puritans, the people who were willing to get on a boat and risk life and limb to get on a boat because it was not guaranteed. You're going to make it between here and the, and England on a boat, um, get here. Then once you get here and you survive the, 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 the Atlantic, then deal with the wilderness and Indians and, you know, yeah, you might settle even in, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, the eastern seaborns, you know, fairly well populated and we've got towns, but you're going to start pushing into what they called the West at the time, which was Kentucky and Ohio. Anyway. Folks that are have the willingness to go out and do that, they're probably more predisposed to violence. Yeah, that's I I do agree that that's a conversation that should be had on on the United States and its culture, just from that standpoint of the wild. Uh, I say the wild states, but in all in all seriousness, like it's it's the wild states of America. Yeah, that when. Just because it seems like it's this civilized country, this is a country that needed to be conquered. It was new. It was new, unexplored territory. Even if you sit there and say that the Native Americans were a part of this, you're looking at a significant like this is like going and conquering. Yeah, they they the population barely touched most of the United States. This is like going to a planet. Yes. And there being an alien species there that's significantly far behind than we are. Correct. And just going in and... That's true. And when we have all these discussions like, well, if aliens would show up, they'd just wipe us out. <laughs> that's essentially what we did. No, yeah. I was we like, it's like, like going... Yeah, we're taking this over. We're more advanced than you are. Yeah, we went and... Well, and that's that's the beauty of sci-fi. There's, there's a political discussion about basically we are the alien... Take the alien scenario, right, and apply it to I don't know the Aztec Empire. Apply it to any Native American species in their species. Any Native American. Uh, are they? Sorry, are you? Are you trying to say they're subhuman? Oh no, I'm not. I'm, uh, 
All right, time for me to whip out my Native American card that says that That's I'm true. one 132nd uh, <laughs> Choctaw Nation. Um, yeah, I think that when it comes to the, the – I, I think that you're onto something there where there's something in the culture where, again, it, 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 it's been a part of this where we are a conquering – we had to be a conquering nation, and we're, and we're still young. So right. like if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, the, the the Brits were a conquering nation for blah blah blah, and I still think that there's problems that where in in Great Britain, where again imperialism was a thing for so long, where there's there's things that are embedded in the DNA of, yep, there it is. Um, there's things that are embedded within the DNA of. Uh, the Brits and that kind of stuff about imperialism and that this is okay and this is how things go. But I think that's how it is with a majority of the nations. There's right. there's lots of atrocities that people have committed in each of them that, you know, has to be said where, uh, yeah, again, you've, you've created this kind of system that's in place that's embedded within them I, I mean our conversation earlier i still think that the middle east is a place that is central in violence and that and they are centered around it and so that that kind of idea and where that's acceptable again and again within their culture makes it to where it's that's okay and so for anybody that sits there and says like the united states is violent i'm like well this is yeah we are it's it's the it's just it's it's statistically just the case we are more violent than our our northern neighbors yeah we are more violent than england we are more violent than new zealand i don't know about i think we're more violent than australia even though australia we're not was, more violent than mexico but no but in terms of our direct ancestors that were well yeah largely from uh, we are more violent. So we're just, we are more violent. Um, take Well, taking aside the, we are more violent if you just take in like domestic violence, it, it just like person to person violence, taking out the drug cartels and all that kind of stuff. So yes, that's not the point of the conversation, even though I think that was really important that we lay that down. What I... What I thought about when I saw one more mass shooting and one more indication that this guy might have mental problems is a quote from a couple years ago from a book from 2016. And I want to read that quote and then have us flesh it out, not just with the shooting, but I think this quote deals with what's at the heart of most of our problems in the United States. And it will link to our favorite topic of de-churching and the, you know, people leaving the faith and all that kind of thing. There's no use arguing that modern society isn't the kind of paradise. The vast majority of us don't personally have to grow or kill our own food build our own dwellings, or defend ourselves from wild animals and enemies. In one day, we can travel a thousand miles by pushing our foot down on a gas pedal, or around the world by booking a seat on an airplane. When we are in pain, we have narcotics that dull it out of existence. And when we are depressed, we have pills that change the chemistry of our brains. We understand an enormous amount about the universe, 
from subatomic particles to our own bodies to galaxy clusters. And we use that knowledge to make life even better and easier for ourselves. The poorest people in modern society enjoy a level of physical comfort that was unimaginable a thousand years ago. And the wealthiest people literally live the way gods were imagined to have. And yet, there are many costs to modern society, starting with its toll on the global ecosystem and working one's way down to its toll on the human psyche. But the most dangerous loss may be to community. If the human race is under threat in some way that we don't yet understand, it will probably be at a community level that we either solve the problem or fail to. If the future of the planet depends on, say, rationing water, communities of neighbors will be able to enforce new rules far more effectively than even local government. It's how we evolve to exist, and it obviously works. Uh, so, this quote is by Sebastian Younger. It's from his book, Tribe, on Homecoming and Belonging. Sebastian made a name for himself by being a war correspondent, uh, primarily. He's also written some books. Uh, if you've read The Perfect Storm or seen the movie The Perfect Storm with George Clooney and... Not Matt Damon, but... the. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, about the ship being lost in a big, literally perfect storm off the coast of New England. That was Sebastian's book. He's written a couple books on Afghanistan. This book, Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging, was a book that he wrote primarily dealing... He was seeing what was happening with veterans as they came home and how they had a lack of community... And belonging when they came home. And it's something that uh, I've seen, my wife has seen when we deal with the homelessness issue. And in talking to uh, law enforcement people that I know in Tulare, they will tell you that the homo- the suicide rate amongst first responders is as high as it is because they have the same catastrophic loss of community that homeless people do. And what they what happens is they find that sense of community say, as a police officer, and then when they're dealing with problems as a police officer because of the code of silence or wanting to be a tough guy, they have nowhere to go to say, like, my marriage is failing or it turns out I'm gay, I'm not heterosexual, or I have a drug problem or whatever the issue is, and then it leads to suicide. And so we have a very high level of depression and suicide even among uh, first responders. But Clearly, anybody who works with homeless and is really honest about it will tell you that is the number one issue with homeless people. It's catastrophic loss of community and relationships, which then leads to the drug abuse and leads to the um, mental illness. Because we have this idea, we have this idea in the U.S., and this is kind of what brought me to this quote um, when I saw this thing about the shooter being having a mental illness issue we've just turned it into a chemical thing and certainly it is for some people but some of it's just uh what we'd say uh it's not chemical it's uh it's situ it's situational oh yeah there we go it's situational and it and it develops this level of mental unhealth mental imbalance so colton you have any thoughts on that quote yeah, I think that there's something to be said about um, 
that it's that there's there's going to be a problem on on a level that we're not necessarily aware of um and actually again i I still think that a lot of this comes down to we don't recognize and as we evolve as a species and and i think we're we're growing and developing um as we go but i think that you know they in they talk about the hierarchy of needs right there's um in the hierarchy of needs there's you know you need basically you need your food and shelters to survive but as you go up the hierarchy um you need you need more and more and where eventually once you get up to the top you're looking at the um you're looking at uh self-actualization right once you're able to get through the the social needs the um your all that kind of stuff once you get up to the top what comes from it um and so when we're looking at those needs there's new problems that are arising and so for the first time ever we're we're seeing people that are at the top that are having all that are having all the success having all the money to be able to do whatever it is that they want or and at the end of the day they are struggling mentally because again we are facing problems on a mental level that we've never faced before again the united states is having issues with our with anxiety and depression at an alarming rate that has never been dealt with before because of the problems that we are facing are not something that humanity has faced before. Right. Um, The problems that we are facing are significantly more social, right? Um, And so people are struggling with these things that they're taking their own lives. They're, they're, they're snapping mentally because of these issues that they're having. And honestly, I, there's something where I, I, and when you're talking about people, when you're talking about veterans and you're talking about that, I think there's something to be said to where I think that a lot of our, I think that a lot of our veterans struggle, not one from what they have seen and what they've endured, but also from the public perception of what it is that they've done. Yeah. There is an element to be said of there is an additional weight on their psyche because socially they are not accepted based off of the the crimes against humanity that they have done. And whether you sit there and say that they were justified in doing so, there is we have sat there and said that you have you have not necessarily committed murder, but you have committed murder, right? This is somebody who has had this, and so therefore they have to live with the retributions. But we look at, we look at, you know, nation upon nation for years and years and years, 
barbaric or whatever for thousands of years warriors are glorified in the united states and the rest of the world they're not glorified or put on this pedestal anymore i think in some ways they are but they are not nearly to to what they were before it's not no longer an honor to sit there and die in battle like it was before where this is how you want to die and that kind of stuff i still think that there's an element of that uh and I think that the military tries to promote it, like even Marines still say in Valhalla or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it's definitely not on the level of all these people where it was something that was idolized, where violence is, is appreciated as much as it was before. And so people are struggling with that. And mentally, that can cause huge issues where it's, this is my occupation, this is what I do, this is what I'm good at even. And it's not something that is valued in our society. And it's grotesque and gross, even. So, I don't know. Thoughts? Uh, I agree with what you said. I'm going to take it from a different perspective. I think somewhere in the mid-20th century... It started on the right, uh, but it, it was also adopted by the, both the right and the left politically in the United States have adopted this idea of hyper-individualism. And for the right, it's, you know, I have a right to own a gun. I have a right to own my own property. I have a right to this and this and that and the other. The right has its issues of things that I have a right to do. And, you know, I am my own individual in the government or in society can't tell me what to do. The left has its other lists of things that it can't be told. You can't touch my body. You can't tell me what free speech is, blah, 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 you know, whatever those things are. But it is led to this hyper individual. We have no matter what, however you define what that hyper individualism is, the United States, and it really started taking off in the, in the I would say, probably the 80s, this idea of hyper-individualism. The United States, we're, we really, for a while, we, we valued the what we called nuclear family in the late 20th century. But then really the individual, and part of this came about, I think, with the Internet and the Internet empowering people to find their own search out their own information, their own truth, and all that kind of stuff. We really leaned into the individual. And to what to the to what the Sebastian is talking about, we've slowly just destroyed any meaningful identification and also obligation to community. And somehow to get this back to the church and Christianity, <laughs> I don't know how, and this discussion isn't meant to solve the problem, but it's again, it's one of these discussions that you and I talk about where let's just admit we have a problem and then start thinking about what the problem is and ruminating on the problem and ruminating on the problem, maybe what the solution is. The church leaned into that. Somehow, at some point, it leaned into that. Yeah, we all showed up, whether it be... 50 people or 200 people or 400 people or 2,000 people or 4,000 people would show up at, a, at church, but we're all basically showing up as individuals. 
and sense of community was destroyed. And therefore, to use kind of a modern phrase, the church lost its stickiness. Yes. There's nothing keeping people with church. No. There's no incentive for me to go to church anymore. Or in this, the, the, in the case of this article, community. The church is not, for, at some point, the church stopped providing community. And... Yeah, and that's why, well, I mean, we, we've talked about it several times, and, and we don't do it ourselves, but, we, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the home church of where all of a sudden there's a sense of community, and that's why it's so successful um, and why we say that that is what church is probably meant to be. We're not sitting there and saying that there's an expert um, that's teaching you, um, you know, your Bible every single week, but again that's not how it was in the early church it's not somebody sitting there and we're going over the laws of of abraham and moses and and all that kind of stuff we're not going over that every single week instead we're what do you need what's going on with you what what can we do to to help our kingdom people <laughs> how do, how do i be the mitigator at my work where i've got a palestinian friend and a, and a jewish friend who don't see eye to eye right? and they want me to pick a side. And that's what I think is the biggest is the biggest deal in all of this where it's like again they they're not there's not a lot of consideration over the fact that it's you know Is that we don't have to sit there and when you do home church, you don't need an expert teaching you the ins and outs of the Bible because, again, nobody had that for years and years and years. Yeah. We're not sitting there being able to dissect it, blah, blah, blah. That it, what we're able to do now is is unheard of. Nobody was able to do this thousands of years ago. No, instead, what we're able to do is we are able to do exactly what the people were two millennium, two millennium ago and sit there and give love to one another and care for one another in the situations that we are a part of, you know? Um, that is what we can do, and that's what home church really should be doing, is it's giving people an opportunity to experience community every single day. You're in education. Most of the, the friends that I have are in education. My wife's in education. Uh the United States used to have not just the best colleges, but arguably the best K through 12. California, for a century, was known to have the best K through 12 schools in the world. Um, I don't think it's outside the realm of it. It's not inaccurate to say that my mom and dad decided to move from Oklahoma when circumstances happened there. California because in large part they wanted me to have a really good education the education problem we have in the United States whatever it is behavior lack of whatever whatever you think the problem is in schools it's the same problem it's lack of community I think if you want to solve 90% of the problems that are going on in the United States and I think this is why the United States 
sometimes we overstate and we th- we think we're worse than everybody else is. I think in a lot of instances we are worse than the rest of the world because again, we've adopted this hyper individualism that has not taken over Europe, that has not taken over Great Britain, that has not certainly not taken over the southern hemisphere or Asia that is still very much collective and community and you're bound to what society thinks and there's yeah. this honor. We don't have that. We was like no. Fuck you. I can do whatever I want. If you don't like it, you can go suck on it. And yeah, it's great. It gives us a lot of freedom. But there's big consequences to that. And that's why we're seeing the mental health issues. That's why we're seeing no matter what our government tries to do. That's what why we're seeing, I think, the drug issue we have, the violence that we have, all of the big issues that everyone around a table, whether right or left, center, libertarian, socialist, whatever, would say... These are the big things I see. These are all these issues, and it's because we have both everyone has agreed to destroy community outside of the family. And even within the family, we've done a really good job on top of it destroying the family unit as well. Right. And so to wrap this up and this long episode up, and you can not say you should give your thoughts too. We keep talking about home church. I don't know if home church is the solution. But whatever the solution, whatever is going to be the new renewal of the church, the new and the new great awakening in the United States, it's going to be something I think that fosters this new sense of community with people who aren't necessarily thinking that they need Jesus. Yeah, they're just looking for community. And then as they find community, they, they realize, oh, this sense of community is informed. Informed and structured around this belief in Jesus. Yeah. I want that, too. Yes, that's the only way out. If we want the church to be resurrect church, big C resurrected in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that that's that's what it comes down to is is you have to. There has to be a sense of community, and and right now I just I, I don't know if I can see it from from the big church level. Like I just, I just I don't see it being more effective, um, than at the home church level. And I don't have a problem with the home church at all. Like, there's nothing that I that I see that was bad from it. I think it's more work for people, um, which I don't I don't blame people for thinking that. You know, you're having to prepare. But even then, I, I still feel like our home church followed a fairly st- structured church service where it was like, okay, we're not necessarily sitting there and having a full-on, you know, sermon, music, all that kind of stuff. But... But we did feel like there had to be an element of this or that. And where, in all honesty, really all it needed to be was, how's everybody doing this week? Is there any way that we can help you out or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I got blowback at the old church we were at from people who would, like, oh, I, there was there was a couple of parents who would show up at the college group just to, like, see what's going on in the college group or the young adults college group that my wife and I were leading for almost a decade and we would get complaints because folks would show up 
Well, sometimes we get complaints from young adults and college students who would yeah. complain to our friend Brandon and say, like, "There's they didn't do a lesson. They just sat around and talked. <laughs> and our friend Brandon, like, he never, like, you know, he never came to me and said, you got to do a lesson. He would ask me, like, yeah, there's just some days where I would just be like, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to sit here. And it wasn't like everyone's got to share, like everyone tell everyone how the week went. It was just like, we're going to let people just have conversations. Have a genuine. And three or four conversations go. And then maybe it all boils into one big conversation because people start hearing, oh, there's a conversation. And I just had that going on at school this week in this or work or whatever. You just, <coughs> to your point, you just be. Yeah, well, and that's... And, and it doesn't be like, oh, we got to go through a book of the Bible and we've got to go through the chapter every week and we've got to have a discussion about it and we've got to have some meaty thing that that like applies to what's, what's going on in my life. Well, and I had a community group that I was a part of where I was, I was very much involved with the leader and we had a couple that was very much upset over the fact that it was like... I don't understand why we're not talking, why we're not doing a lesson every single week, and I'm not being challenged, and I'm not being like this or that um, every single week. And it was like, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I feel like you're missing the point of what this is about, right? Um, and that's the hard part. Where I, I, and I do agree. I think that is you aren't. If you are thinking that that is what church is about, is this, and and it's part of church, but it's not. And here's something where I'm like, I've talked about it on this show before where I said, I feel like I need to be challenged. Like there's something where it's like, I, I, I feel like a majority of the teachings and that's why we like forest and blah, blah, blah. Don't necessarily challenge anybody or, or provoke any thought. But again, I, I will say that at the basics and what the priority needs to be about is that there there should be a, a sense of community and when you brought up teachers where it's like i feel like for teachers this is the same way where there are teachers out there who believe that the 100 percent, the first priority of their job is that they should be teaching children about their core subject and my idea and my philosophy is nope <laughs> i believe that first and foremost and especially at the high school level that your first job is to develop relate meaningful relationships with every single one of your students that should be your job and then second comes the the content that you're trying to teach because i don't think that that content can get across without the relationships because believe it or not there are more important things out there in the world than learning whether or not two plus two equals four right there, there is so much more to it than this yeah if you want to teach if your whole thing is you want to teach a subject then go 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 find a boarding school or really high-end private school but even to that even to that point there's still an, a, a value in being a mentor and and i say the same thing with the church where if you're sitting there and you're saying that the most important thing is teaching people what is right and wrong i i think you've missed the whole point correct where it's not about that at all it's about giving people a sense of community and a sense of belonging and we don't give that anymore because everybody is so fixated on making sure that people know what is right and what is wrong. Right. And again, that goes back to that adage that we've been talking about over and over and over again is why are people leaving the church? And we've talked about what they are and, you know, it could be COVID and 
really at the end of the day people are lazy and ultimately they just don't want to go but at the same time what are what are some of those things that are unappealing about the church that are like this these are problems well that's why i use the term sticky you can say COVID. it's this it's that and the other at the end of the day Nobody's sitting there and saying like, oh man, this is something I wanted to go to. This is Co- a- COVID happened. COVID happened. It came and went. People are back to going back to football games and basketball games and baseball games. It did. They didn't lose their stickiness. Why? Because there's val- People saw value in going back. It wasn't like, ah, I didn't need that. Church was not able to provide that kind of stickiness. So like, I need to go back to that. No. I, I feel like I'm losing something by not being there. Yeah. No. Now what you've gotten is church is a chore. Yeah. Church is a chore. It's something that I've been told since I was young that I needed to go to, and so therefore I go. But it's like, that's not why you should have been going in the first place. No. And I'm not sitting there and saying that we need to like make church more sexy or whatever. That's not what I'm saying at all. <coughs> and community is not a sexy thing. It's actually more of the thing of what what is the attractive part of the church? What is it that they want? Like, What is the good thing from church? And that's what it should have been giving all along is this sense of community. And that's why people should feel like they are, that they should be a part of it. Right. So, yeah, going back to this quote and wrapping up the discussion and the episode, the church really needs to figure out how it can build community. So then that community is leading to healthy marriages and families and healthy marriages and families are leading to healthy friendships and then those friendships building community even outside of church. And I think if, again, that's the only way you can be on the right or the left and say we need to ban drugs or we need to ban guns, none of these things are going to be solved until we figure out what is broken within our society specifically that is leading people to desperate acts of murder or desperate acts of slowly killing themselves. Yeah. Um, Because it's an epidemic on both sides. It is an epidemic. We have way too many of these mass shootings. We have over 100,000 people dying each year now from drug overdoses. Yeah, a lot of it's fentanyl, but it doesn't matter what, what it's specifically doing it. We have people, way too many people who are... Um, killing themselves via drugs because they just the world is not enough they don't have any sense of purpose or community to keep them from numbing themselves so uh if you have any solutions let us know um subscribe rate and review and if you don't like to subscribe rate and review this podcast you can go to hell